And um, I want to read this psalm to you and then do a little bit of background work. We'll pray, do some background work, and uh, believe strongly the Lord's directed my heart to this text for a very specific reason. So let's read through it together, um, and then we'll pray. Psalm 46. It says, To the chief musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah, a song of Alameth. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word here this evening. Lord, we pray that you would lead us through this text, that your spirit would illuminate this text, Lord, and that you would, Lord, not, that not one person would leave here tonight um, questioning what it is you're saying to them. Lord, we are, you are a shepherd and we are the sheep of your pasture. Lord, and we admit that we're sheep. Lord, we are defenseless and we are foolish and we need you. And so we pray that you would speak with us, speak to us with just clarity. Lord, forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of the times of our days that we're not mindful of you. Forgive us for neglecting a prayer life or a devotional life, Lord. Give us a heart that just just longs for you again. Lord, I pray for those who are just battling condemnation in here. Lord, that they would just receive the truth of forgiveness. Lord, the truth of imputed righteousness and justification in you. And that we would just sit here knowing and assured of our position in you so that we could um, hear from you correctly. Lord, that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And so speak to our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. One uh, word that you will see throughout the duration of this psalm on multiple occasions is this word, Selah. You'll see it at the end of verse 3. You'll see it um, at the end of uh, verse 7. You'll see it again at the end of verse 11. And this word, Selah, literally just means to sit and to just meditate upon the truth that is being said. And there are so many times in our Christian experience, I should say this daily, that if we're not giving our minds and our hearts over to this posture of just waiting upon the Lord and meditating upon Him and waiting to receive from Him and meditating on the truth that He's trying to speak to us, that we're going to completely miss what God has for us. Not just in the grand scheme of life, but the blessing he wants to bestow upon us as children of God. We have these two pictures in the New Testament. You see this in Mary and Martha, right? Uh, Martha is busy serving, and Mary is at the feet of Jesus. And Martha says, don't you care, Lord? Look, I'm, do- I'm doing all the serving. And he says, Martha, Martha, you're worried about many things, but Mary has chosen the better part that will not be taken from her this time at the feet of Jesus that won't be taken from her. There's always going to be needs. There's always going to be things to do. There's always going to be ministry to be done. There's always going to be needs to be met. But this time alone with Jesus, this devotion to him is what we were created for. You also have this picture in the book of Revelation in the second chapter in the church of Ephesus, how the Lord says, I see your works. You're doing a lot of amazing things. You have a name. You're meeting the needs of the people. You're an effective church. 
He says, but this I have against you. You've left your first love. Repent and do your first works, lest I take away your lampstand out of the midst of you. They stopped doing this. They stopped this time of prayerful meditation in their relationship with God. I'm also interested in the psalm because of the background of this psalm. If you're just walking in, we're in Psalm 46 tonight. I'm also interested in the psalm because of the background of this psalm, right? We were just talking about meditating on the truth of Scripture and the truth of God's Word and the importance of that. This psalm was written during a time of great difficulty. In 2 Kings 18 and 19, the Syrians were coming to raid the people of God and King Hezekiah is ruling and, and the enemy a king of Assyria and his spokesmen are, are just uttering these blasphemous words about their own God and about King Hezekiah. The Syrians were people who were of the most wicked demeanor. They would take their enemies and they would skin them alive and they would take their, the, their enemy's skin and literally hang it over the walls of the city. Uh, they, would, they would cut the heads off of their, their captives and just just stack them at the doors of their houses and just do just cruel things to their enemies. Everyone feared the Assyrians. Everyone feared the, threat, the threats of the Assyrians. And the Assyrians were saying to, to the people of God and Hezekiah, look what we've done to all these other nations. Their gods were not able to save them. Surely your God won't be able to save you either. And furthermore, they said, don't listen to Hezekiah who prays to this God of yours. Isaiah the prophet walks in, he has a word from the Lord, and I, Hezekiah takes this threat of the enemy and, and, and he takes it to his prayer closet. What we all need to do with the threats of the enemy, we take them to our prayer closet, we take them before the Lord. So many times we fail in our Christian lives and our walks and our relationship with the Lord because we let the, the threat of the enemy live here and then it enters here. And then we're living in this place of discouragement and confusion and despondency and depression because we never took the threat of the enemy to the prayer closet. And Hezekiah does that and he takes this threat and he rolls it out before the Lord and he prays and he beseeches the Lord. And they wake up the next morning and one angel of the Lord was sent and killed 185,000 Assyrians overnight. God intervened. And that is the message to you tonight. Are you waiting for God to intervene in your life? Hezekiah was a good leader. Hezekiah was a good king because he didn't take the threat of the enemy and say, what do I have to do? He took the threat of the enemy and realized this is too big for me. I can't handle this. And whatever's going on in your life tonight is too big for you too. It's designed that way. It's designed that way. It's so that you will experience the power of relationship with God and the power of this meditative, just confident Christian life. How do you deal with disappointments? Over the past few months, I've dealt with two of the biggest disappointments in my entire life. How do you deal with that? How do you wrap your mind around that? How do you bring that before God and just not, not just get discouraged and give in to discouragement, give in to confusion? How, what do you do with that? You do what Psalm 46 does. You um, run to God as your refuge. You learn to have this meditative life. Like I said, at verse 3 and verse 7 and verse 11, this word selah is there. And, and, and we, can, we can rush through our times of prayer, but... The psalmist isn't doing that here. This psalm was written after a time where God had dramatically shown himself faithful on behalf of those who were loyal to him. God intervened. The battle was too big and God stepped in. The battle was too difficult and God stepped in. Our battles are designed that way. You were not supposed to be able to fight your battles and win your battles on your own because it's not your battle, it's the Lord's battle. But this is how we win battles. Look at verse one. 
So he's just seen, Hezekiah has just seen 185,000 of the wicked, most wicked enemies of Israel destroyed in one night by one angel. And he says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. What was Hezekiah going through? Constant threats, constant accusations. Read it when you go home tonight. Read 2 Kings 18 and 19 and watch what took place in these two chapters. We're gonna kill you. We're gonna destroy you. There's nothing you can do. In fact, we've destroyed everyone else who's tried to come up against us. What makes you any different? You're smaller and you're more insignificant than everyone else we've gone against. We are coming and we are going to destroy you. What do you do in that moment? Do you allow God to be your refuge? Who do you hide in when there's nowhere else to hide? Where do you go when there's nowhere else to go? When your soul is looking for rest, where does it find rest if it's not finding rest in God? Because it's not going to find rest in anything else in this restless world. It's not going to find any rest inside of that restless heart of yours. If you're not seeking the Lord and, and, and possessing God as your own, as your own refuge in time of need. Everything else will fall short in your life. If you're in the midst of impossibilities, don't be overwhelmed by them. Run to your refuge. The psalmist would say elsewhere, when my heart is overwhelmed within me, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. I'm so thankful that I serve someone who is mightier than me, who's more all-knowing than me, who's seen my, my last day before my first day even began. God is our refuge, but he's also our strength. If you're the king of Israel and you're surrounded by 185,000 of the most gnarly enemies that you've ever faced in your life, you realize how weak you are real quick. Doesn't spiritual warfare do that to us? Doesn't it reveal to us our own insufficiency, our own weakness? Wasn't that the case with Paul in 2 Corinthians 12? that a thorn in the flesh was given to him and a messenger of Satan to buffet him? The enemy does that in our life. He magnifies weakness. But what does the Lord do? The Lord exalts our weakness. And he tells us when we're weak, then we're strong because our strength is found in him. We're not strong till we acknowledge weakness. So what does the Lord do? He puts you in situations where you feel and you're acquainted with, with your own physical weakness, your own emotional weakness, your own mental weakness, to show you just how weak you really are. And you know what this is called? This is called brokenness. And the Lord values it. The bread was not, in the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, it had no value until it was broken. You have no value till you're broken. The alabaster flask that was poured out uh, on, on Jesus' feet had no value till it was broken. You and I have no value till we're broken because we don't have any strength until we're broken, until we're relying upon him. We go from strength to strength and sometimes we think we're gonna wait upon the Lord um, and we're gonna mount up on wings like eagles. We're gonna run and not grow weary. We'll, we're not gonna grow faint. And sometimes we're waiting on the Lord And maybe this is a lesson that that you need to hear tonight. Your strength is not going, this strength that God is talking about is not going to come until you step out of faith in spite of your weakness. If you're just sitting in your prayer closet and you're saying, Lord, give me strength, give me strength, give me strength, strength's not going to come. You're not going to experience the strength until you step out in faith in spite of your weakness and you see God meet you moment by moment by moment throughout your day. Then you'll go home, you'll lay your head on the pillow at night and say, Lord, thank you, you are my strength. Because when I started this day, I had none. But you've been faithful throughout this day. That's why Paul would tell Timothy to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Don't be strong in your flesh. We are nothing but weakness. And the Lord puts us in situations that are way beyond ourselves to show us that he is our strength. That you don't have to be strong. He wants to be strong in you, but he can't be strong in you until you realize how weak you really are. And in our culture, we kick against weakness. It's despised. It's rejected. But that's what God uses, and that's what God blesses. He blesses the person who acknowledges weakness because then the power of God is ready to be bestowed upon you. 
So then you know it's not your strength, it's his strength. And then you can claim that God is our refuge and our strength. But look at this verse at the end of, of, at the end of verse 1. He says he's a very present help in trouble. God is a very present help in trouble. He's not just with you, he's very present with you. And you say, well, I don't feel him. Well, you don't have to feel him. You need to believe him. He told the disciples, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. How many times did he tell people throughout the scriptures, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He's a very present help in trouble. Whatever you're going through right now, God is with you. And he's not just with you for for no reason. He's with you to, to aid you, to help you, to walk with you, to give you wisdom. You have not because you ask not. He's with you to strengthen and encourage. The issue is never that he's not with you. The issue is your lack of belief that he's with you. And the amount of discouragement in your life and the challenges of your life that drown out the very real presence of God. You remember the two disciples on the road to Emmaus who were literally walking with Jesus and didn't realize it? They were walking with the risen Lord. But why? Because they lost their hope in him. And when we lose our hope in him, we stop believing that he is a very present help in trouble. God is not divorced from any of your circumstances. No, he's with you in them. He hasn't left you. He hasn't forsaken you. He's walking through it with you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Why were they walking around when their chains were undone in the fire? Why didn't they just jump out? Because there was a fourth in there and he had the, the appearance of the Son of God. They were nearer to God in the fire than they were outside of the fire. He was a very present help in trouble. And sometimes the Lord will thrust us into these seasons that are very difficult for us, that are beyond our ability to comprehend, that are beyond our ability to understand because it makes us seek him. It makes us want to know him. When everyone else, when every other source of fulfillment, of provision, of comfort is God, is gone, God is there. He's a very present help in trouble. And what is the natural response to the revelation of the presence of God in your life? Verse 2, therefore, we will not fear. Fear in its Fear in its root is a lie. An act, good acronym that I use for fear is false evidence already revealed. But fear is dispelled when Jesus is there. Because he's our refuge, because he's our strength, because he's a very present help, in trouble, therefore we will not fear. Notice this, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and are troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. And here's this word, Selah. Meditate on this truth. Don't just rush on. Sit and wait and ponder this. Even though everything that represented stability in your life is now gone, we will not fear. Even though the mountains be removed, even though the earth be removed, even though the waters roar and are troubled, though the mountains shake with their swelling, we won't be afraid. Remember the disciples in the boat, in the storm, on not one occasion, but two occasions. What was the, what was the response to Jesus in the storm? Peace, be still. Both times he would say, why are you so fearful how is it that you have no faith even though the storm is raging we should be the ones who are not afraid we have a great example of this in the book of acts in the 27th chapter when paul is is in this tremendous storm he warned the the captain don't go this way it's going to be bad there's going to be a storm. Don't go there. Don't go there. But what did Paul have before the storm? Paul was promised by the Lord, don't worry, Paul, you're going to get to Rome. The Lord speaks to Paul in the midst of the storm, and Paul's able to give hope to the people on that boat. And he tells them, the, Lord's, the Lord and the God in whom I serve has spoken to me that there will be no loss of life on this ship. But what was he able to do? He was the one man 
in the midst of the storm that was able to hear the voice clearly, the voice of the Lord clearly, because he was doing this. He, his eyes weren't on the storm. His eyes weren't on the chaos of everyone around him. He was doing this in his heart. God, you're my refuge. You're my strength. You are a very present help of, in trouble. Therefore, I'm not gonna be afraid of what I see because you already told me you're gonna take me to Rome. So what ha whatever happens between point A and point B, I'll accept it and I'm going to look for your power in the midst of it. And that's where we get in trouble. We stop living an expectant life. We stop expecting God to work. The God that we serve is still the God who parted the Red Sea. He's still the God who brought water out of the rock. He's still the God that defeated Hezekiah's enemies. He's your God. He's the same God and he wants to be strong on your behalf, but you gotta let him. And you gotta believe him for it. And you have to walk by faith and not by sight. And you gotta get your hands off of the situations in your life. And you need to not be unbelieving, but you need to just be believing. And be a prayerful person. And when you pray, expect him to answer. Expect him to move. Expect, he, he says in Psalm 2, ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. We don't have because we don't ask. And we don't ask because we don't believe. And we don't believe because we don't know our God. Have you been put in a situation in your life yet where you need him to be your refuge? If you're there tonight, I say praise God. I'm, I, that, it's a blessing. Because you're going to know him in a way you've never known him before. Have you been in a situation in your life where you feel nothing but weakness? It's a blessing because you're, now you're going to know his strength. If you walk through it rightly. If you walk through it rightly. Saying even though every, didn't, didn't we need this, don't we still need this for what's coming in our nation moving ahead? Everything that can be shook will be shook. Everything that's laying ahead of us, newsflash, it's not going to get better. And we need to know this. Everything that represented security, everything that represented uh, financial security, everything that represented emotional security, political security is being shaken and it will be gone. Even though all that will be shaken, we will not fear, is what the psalmist is saying. And we need to get to this place in our faith. Because I'm not afraid of difficult days. You shouldn't be afraid of difficult days. Because you have a God that throughout the entirety of Scripture pulls a people aside in the midst of difficulty, anoints them and empowers them with the power of the Holy Spirit and sends them forth and gives them gifts and, is, and they're used in power to change a generation. And that's what we want. You look at the book of Acts. There was no security there. You look at the ministry of Jesus, less security there. But he was confident in who the Father was. The disciples were confident in who their God was. And so they weren't afraid. How do you scare someone who saw someone be raised from the dead? Have you ever thought about that? Like Lazarus, right? Lazarus was literally called back from the dead. And he was part of the early church. And when they were threatening to kill him, like, how do you threaten him? I've been on the other side. I know this isn't the end. They believed that this earth was not their home. They believed that there was more to this life than this earth. They believed that there was an eternal call. And they believed in the power of the resurrection. They believed they were just pilgrims passing through. But we get too comfortable in this world. It's not our home. And we won't have this type of faith. We won't have this type of security in the Lord until we are expecting him to move in the midst of the difficulties in our life. No, notice verse four what he says. He says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. This is awesome to me because if you've ever been to Jerusalem, you know there's no great river that's passing through it. But there will be a time. This is almost like a prophetic word there will be a time, it says in Ezekiel 47 in Revelation chapter 12, where the Lord comes back and he sets his foot on the Mount of Olives. In the second coming, he sets his foot on the Mount of Olives and the Mount of Olives cleaves and a stream goes forth from Jerusalem and it heals the Dead Sea. And the waters of the Dead Sea are healed. And there will be a stream, there will be a river whose streams make, shall make glad the city of God. The holy place of the tabernacle 
of the Most High. Verse 5, he says, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her. Notice, (laughs) just at the break of dawn. Sometimes that stresses me out. God like waits that long sometimes. He, he'll put you like right up to the moment. But he always comes through. He's never failed. And then you'll go through the test again. Why will you go through the test again? Because you've seen him be faithful here and you know he's going to be faithful again. I'll say this. You're, you, the, what does the Bible overwhelmingly um, promise to, to his sheep? Provision, right? Protection direction so what does he do he allows you to lack so that you could know that he withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly that he suffi- he he desi- he satisfies the desire of every living thing that he provides for the birds of the air he's going to provide for you so he allows you to experience a time where you need provision and he may lead you right up to the 31st rents due on the first and it will come. It always does. Because he's God and he can't lie. But are you expecting him? You look at, at Abraham in Romans chapter 4. The faith that he had. He knew he was going to have a son, but all he had was a promise. It says that he didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief. And he did not consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. And he was rewarded. And God blessed him. God is in the midst of her. God is in the midst of his people, is what he's saying here. God is in the midst of his people. And sometimes we say, Lord, where are you? When are you going to show up in my life? No, (laughs) you understand that's bad doctrine. He's there. We just need to walk with him like he is there. We don't need to say, Lord, please be with me. He, He is with you. We need to acknowledge his presence in our lives and start, stop, stop praying. Let me, I'm not condemning anyone. I'm just instructing. Stop praying that God would be with you and thank him that he's already with you. Start having this heart of gratitude, Lord. Thank you that your word overwhelmingly affirms that you are with me here and now. And thank you that I can talk to you like you are with me here and now. I feel so lonely in my life, but I know you'll never leave me. I know you're always with me. You'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. You're always by my side in the good times and the bad times. Even though I conduct my life like you're not right here next, with me, next to me, thank you that you're a good friend. And you just walk with me and you just bear with me when I'm fumbling around and not even just acknowledging your presence in my life. You want your life to change? Start thanking the Lord. Start entering into your prayer life just thankful that he's there. Acknowledge his presence. Acknowledge his power. Acknowledge his provision in your life and watch your life change. Sometimes we're worried about tomorrow's provision today when we don't need tomorrow's provision today. You understand where I'm coming from? Give us our day, our daily bread. Psalm 37, 25 says, I've been old Or I've been young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their children begging for bread. That's in the Bible. And God said that. You won't go without. He's going to meet your need. He'll give you the wisdom on how to conduct your life in a manner that is befitting this situation that you're in in your life here tonight. God is in the midst of you. He's all wise and and he's longing to impart wisdom to you. But do you value wisdom or do you just value the next step in life? Are you just trying to get out of where you're at right now and say, Lord, I want something new in my life? Or are you valuing wisdom that he wants to impart to you to help you navigate through the season you're in right now? Lord, give me wisdom. Read Proverbs 8. Read Proverbs 11. The Bible says that wisdom cries out that those who seek it will find it. James chapter 1 says, you, you lack wisdom, ask, and it will be given. But don't ask and doubt, don't, don't be doubting, because he who doubts is a double-minded man. He's unstable in all of his ways. God gives wisdom, but do you value wisdom? When you begin to acknowledge 
the, the reality of the presence of God in the midst of your life daily, moment by moment, everything changes. And that is how we were meant to walk with God. You know that, that verse, 2 Thessalonians 5, 7, or 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. It doesn't mean to be on your knees all day long, obviously. But it does mean to just be aware and conscious of God's involvement in your life, beseeching him and entreating him, casting your cares upon him because he cares for you. When he says he wants to walk with you, he wants to walk with you every second of every day. But we distract ourselves from him. When you try to distract yourself from your pain, you're distracting yourself from him because your pain is a thing that God has ordained to push you to him. So don't distract yourself from it. Don't run from it. Embrace it and walk with him through the process and say, Lord, what is it? Why is it? Not why because I'm questioning you, but why because I want to know. I want to know about you. I want you to teach me about you because you'll know the truth, the Bible says, and the truth will make you free. Didn't Paul say in Philippians chapter 3 that he counts all things as nothing, that he may gain the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ? That is what he was after. You want your life to change. You want your relationship with God to change. Stop seeking what's next and just start seeking him. Accept providence in your life and the preordained boundaries of your dwellings that he has put you in and just say, Lord, what are you wanting to show me about me right now? What are you wanting to show me about you? And when he speaks, it breaks you. And it's deep and it cuts deep. And your life changes forever. Because you can sit here tonight and you can hear me tell you God is your refuge and God is your strength, that he's in the midst of you. He's a very present help in trouble. But unless the Holy Spirit has given you light into that, it has no power in your life. It's like I could sit here and tell you, oh, you come to me with your problems and I could, I could just quote scripture after scripture, scripture that you need to trust the Lord. But that's easy to say. It's another thing to really practically live out your faith and trust in Jesus. Like how do you trust God when everything in your life is contrary to his promises? How do you believe God though everything in your life doesn't make any sense? Well, the truth is you don't trust him. So what is the prayer? Lord, help me to trust you. Lord, I, I, I don't believe you're with me. Lord, help me, give me light into this. David would, would pray this way, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me, illuminate. I need the Holy Spirit to illuminate scripture to me because I need, this to, I need this to transform my life. You don't come here to hear me. You come here to, for your hearts to be set on fire by God to know, God, you met my need tonight. But don't leave here doubting that God met your need tonight. If the Holy Spirit has spoken directly to your heart, I don't know what's going on in your life. The Holy Spirit knows what's going on in your life and he's giving you promises here tonight and he's speaking directly to your need here tonight because he loves you. Because he's a personal God. And sometimes we can have the, the danger of familiarity. Like we come into this place on Sundays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and whenever else you're here and, and we are so blessed in America with so much access to, to sound Bible teaching and we don't, let it, we don't just sit with it like the psalmist is doing right now and let it wash over us and wash over our hearts and wash over our minds and just, just let it deal with us. And therefore, we don't have this relationship with God that he's longing for. Look at verse 6. It says, the nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The power of the still, small voice of God. You remember Elijah in 1 Kings 19 had this great victory in 1 Kings 18. He was the man of the still, small voice called fire down from heaven. First Kings chapter 17 just kind of appears out of nowhere and goes and pronounces judgment to the most wicked king in the history of the nation of Israel, King Ahab. There's gonna be no, there's gonna be no rain or dew except at my word. And then he leaves. The Lord says, arise, Elijah. Go get to the brook Cherith. I'll feed you there. And then the water runs out and the food runs out and the Lord says, arise, go to Zarephath. I've commanded a widow to provide for you there. He was the man of the still, small voice. 
But, he, but when he became overwhelmed because he was so busy slaying the false prophets, that when he heard the threat of Jezebel, he ran from her. And what did he say? He said, it's enough now, Lord. I'm the only one. Just take my life. I just want to die. And what does the Lord do? He provides for him. He meets his physical needs. He provides him with food. And he eats, and he goes in the strength of that food, and he's in the cave. And the fire comes and says, the Lord's not in the fire. The earthquake comes, the Lord's not in the earthquake. The wind comes, the Lord's not in the wind. And then a still, small voice. He's back in touch with the voice that led him from the beginning. And he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? His voice is not a loud voice, but do you get quiet enough to hear it? We live in a time where there is so much noise. We're getting ready to go into chapter 6 of the Sermon on the Mount. And he talks about going into the secret place and praying. And your Father who hears in the secret place will reward you openly. But if you're, if you're forsaking the secret place, I will guarantee you, you have no idea what God is saying to you right now. And you're just content to live in misery. If you haven't prayed like Hannah prayed in, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, just, just weeping before the Lord, why are we so content to not be broken? Put your pride aside. Go get alone. Just wait until, just let him break you. Let him speak to your heart. And when you're done crying out to the Lord, just listen. Listen to what he wants to say to you. He says in John 10, 27, I know my sheep and my sheep know me and they hear my voice and they follow me. Do you even know his voice? Are you able to discern before, between the voice of man and the vo your own voice and the enemy and the voice of this world and his voice? Because if we're not cultivating this, you know all the busyness of this world, all the distractions in this world, our inability to just spend five seconds in quietness, there's a great plot in the of the enemy to make you live in confusion, to be ineffective for the kingdom of God. You want God to change your life. You want God to use your life. Be alone with him. Let him speak to you. Verse 7 says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. You know why I love this? Because it's this overwhelming affirmation again of just the presence of God in our lives. But notice these, these two terms. The Lord of hosts. This is the Lord of heaven's armies. One angel wiped out 185,000 trained men. In the book of Revelation, it talks about the angels in heaven and there's thousands upon ten thousands and thousands of thousands of angels. He is the Lord of hosts, the host of angels. But he also calls himself the God of Jacob. What does Jacob mean? It means heel catcher. God was with Jacob when Jacob was striving and conniving. And when we're like that, when we're not trusting God, he is with us. Until God touched the socket of his hip and he became Israel. Man governed by God. He was Jacob's God. And he was long-suffering and he was kind and he was patient with Jacob's inconsistencies. He was patient with Jacob's doubt. He was patient enough to wait for Jacob. To what? To wrestle with him. To get alone with him. And that's all God's waiting for in your life. You say, God, what do you want from me? I want you alone. God doesn't want your money. God wants your time. God wants your devotion. God wants you to be diligent about getting alone with him because notice what he says at the end of verse seven. He says, Selah, meditate on this. This is not a psalm that is meant to just be read through and it's a, it's a psalm that's meant to be pondered upon and dealt with in the deep areas of our heart. Verse 80 says, come behold the works of the Lord. Have you ever just beheld him? Have you ever just beheld the cross and just thought about that and meditated on the cross in your life? 
That if you were the only one, he still would have come and gone to the cross for you. That that was always his mission. That when the multitudes were singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, he knew that no one would be with him at his most crucial hour. And he had you in mind. He was the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundations of this world. You know that when he spoke it into existence, because the Bible says that all things were created and through, through him and for him and by him, Jesus, God, Jesus created all things. You know that when he, he created this creation, he knew that one day he was going to enter into it and suffer for it and die for it, to redeem it back to himself. Have you beheld that reality in your life? I mean, really, like God in your, this, I do this on my drive home. I have a longer drive home. And this is my time to just like meditate on these things. Just think about the simple things that Jesus loves me. And look, I know me. I'm a stinking mess at times. I know my thought life. I know my heart. And he knows my heart and my thought life more than me. And he loves me. And he bears long with me. And he's patient with me. And he's kind to me. And he doesn't give up on me. He doesn't answer prayers because he knows that that's not what's best for me. Like, do you, do you, do you, like, I can't, I can't get over this. Do you behold his works? Instead of praying for what you need next, have you just given time to thanking, for thanking him from where he's brought you? Have you, do you even give time to that? Look, I'm not talking at you. I'm talking with you right now. Did you give time to the Lord? Thank you that I, I was nothing and I was broken and I was, I was a mess and I was lonely and I didn't have anything and I didn't know anything and I didn't know anyone. And you've, you've just, you've taken this messed up life from this messed up family, this messed up situation, and you've just put me worth. You've given me a wife and children an opportunity to invest in the lives of others. And yet, <laughs> I'm so quick to rush into what I think my need is today. And I haven't even got given any thought to just beholding him. That he's been my shepherd. That he's been a very present help in trouble. That he's been so good to me. That he's never left me. That I'm here today. It's amazing to me. Behold his word. Behold. This is this invitation. We've already discussed who he is. That he's... He's here, he's, a strength, he's our strength, he's our, he's our refuge, but he, he's calling out, come behold the works of the Lord who made desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease. He doesn't just make the wars on this earth to cease, he makes the wars within you to cease. He makes the spiritual battles that you're in to cease with one word, they're gone. They're over. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and he cuts the spear in pieces. He takes the weapons of the enemy and he breaks them and renders them useless against you. Whatever the tactic of the enemy is in your life, whatever the temptation that he solicits you with, he breaks it. But when does he break it? As you become and you come and behold the works of the Lord. Sometimes we pray about struggles and temptations, and those are good things to pray over. But when the temptation or the, the addiction or the pornography problem or whatever it is becomes greater than who God actually is and becomes the focus of your life, I'll tell you this. There will be no victory. If you give more attention to the Lord, take it away, 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 it's not going to go away. I don't want it, Lord, I don't want it. The problem is you do want it. Because if you didn't want it, it wouldn't be temptation. And what really needs to change is your heart. And so the prayer is not, Lord, take this temptation from me, but change my heart, O oh God. Create in me a clean heart. 
Give me a heart that loves righteousness and hates evil. Only he can do it. And sometimes we can get to this place where it's the poor Mimi's, only me, I can never do this. Stop looking at yourself and behold him. He's done it for others, he'll never do it for me. No, that's not true. He will do it for you. He's actually waiting to do it for you. But he wants you to be more consumed with him than whatever the battle is. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. And then he says this. And this is where we will kind of land this study tonight. He says to be still. Man, what a word for us. Stop. Whatever you're doing, just stop. And know this, that I am God. You are not. Right, what does Ecclesiastes say? You are God in heaven and I am, and I am here on earth. So let, let my words be few. Be still and know that I am God. The work that takes place in and through your life is not your work. It's God's work. You are his workmanship. The work that he wants to do through you is his work. You are his instrument. But you've got to let yourself be molded and shaped by him so he can use you. Right? If you see a knife sitting on the table... It doesn't just like pick, up, pick itself up and start cutting things. It needs someone to pick it up and use it. But if the knife is dull, the edge needs to be wet. It needs to be sharpened. Because if we're not sharp, the great uh, master has to use more force. But when we're sharp, we cut swiftly. And so what does the Lord do? He puts us on the grindstone. And what happens on the grindstone still is shaved away until there's, a, until there's a, an edge that is working. And that's not fun. The sharpening process, it's not fun. Because for an edge to get sharp, it's got to go through multiple different grits. And it's not until it's completely smooth that you can see your image in it that a blade is at its sharpest. And that's what the Lord wants in our lives. And so we won't get there until we are the tool being still in the hands of God. Be still and know that I am God. And what is he saying right here? Why? Why, why can you do this? Because he will be exalted in your life. He will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And he closes here. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Why can we be still? Because he's with us. It's that simple. Let's not overcomplicate Christianity. We don't need to go and do more things unless we've waited upon him and we know what he's told us to do. It is so easy to miss the mark in our walks with the Lord, in our service to him. It's so easy to think we're doing a lot. Just because you're doing good things doesn't mean you're doing the right thing. Just because you're doing a lot of things doesn't mean you're doing what God wants you to do. What God wants you to do looks totally different than what God wants me to do. That's why it's so stupid to compare ourselves amongst ourselves. Right? That's what the Bible says. He who compares himself amongst the others is not wise. Your calling is your calling. It's not my calling. But God needs to prepare you for that. But you can't be prepared for that until you just start giving him time. If we're here and saying, like, I want to be used by God in these days, understand what you're saying. You want to be used by God. So that must mean that you want to spend time with the God that you want to be used by. This is a very simple message here tonight. And to spend more time with God. Make time for Him. Wait upon Him. If you don't, you will be overwhelmed. You will be overwhelmed with the threat. Hezekiah could have easily surrendered. But he didn't. He took the threat of the enemy to his prayer closet. And he got a word from the Lord. The Lord spoke to him. And he woke up the next morning and God annihilated 
his enemies in an amazing way. So why wouldn't he do that for you? Is he, is he really, is the God of the Bible the God that you worship? Do you know him? Have you experienced a time in your life where you've needed him and he's come through? When, when people are going through suffering and difficulties and challenges, I can look back and, and just say, okay, either, either they're going to walk through it with the Lord or they're going to try to do it on their own. And when they try to do it on their own, the Lord's going to spank them and he's going to get them right back to point A because he wants to work in their lives. He wants to work in your life. But if you're so rushed in getting out of it and just trying to figure out a way through it and trying to navigate through it, you'll never get to where God wants you to go until you start surrendering to him in the midst of it. And you just be still and you know that he's working. You know that he's working. God, I'll say this to you, you need to believe this truth here tonight. God never stops working in your life. He is actively working in your life. You may not feel it. You may not see it. You may not understand it. But he is preparing something for you. But he waits for you to be prepared for for what he's preparing for you. So we have to join hands with him and let him prepare you. And just be still. Know that he is God. Let him work in your life. Let him have his way in your life. Let him be your refuge. Let him be your strength. Let him be a very present help in trouble. Even though everything is removed in your life, all the the things in your life that represent stability, even though all that is removed, do not fear. And just be still. And know he's God. And give yourself the time that you need, that he requires to just sit with him. And watch your life change. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises in it, Lord. And we ask that you would continue to speak to us, continue to go before us, Lord, and continue to anoint our lives, Lord. Lord, we look to you as to a faithful creator. Lord, we pray that you'd help us in these simple things, Lord, that at times are just not simple to us. Lord, we pray that you would have your way and you'd have your will in and through our lives, Lord. We ask a blessing upon the remainder of our time together, and we do. Lord, I pray for wisdom tonight for those who need it. And um, just clarity. Just go before us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand?